everyone. You're watching We Heart Therapy, the special series EFT Talk. I'm your host, Dr. Annabelle Bugatti, licensed marriage and family therapist and certified EFT supervisor and therapist here in fabulous Las Vegas. And we are excited to welcome to our show, Dr. Paul Greenman. He's a licensed psychologist in Canada. He is the chair of the Department of Psychology for the University of Quebec in Outaouais. And he's been part of the Healing Hearts program that is in its kind of early stages. He's also engaged in a lot of research outcome studies for EFT. He's done some tremendous work for us. He also incorporates EFT into his teachings at the University of Quebec. And he's an EFT trainer. And he, tra he does a lot of EFT trainings over in Europe, in Munich, and he speaks several languages, which is fabulous. And um, if many of you guys might remember, you've seen an article that's been published in the past. Of course, it's all about attachment with Sue Johnson and Dr. Paul Greenman. So this is that Dr. Paul Greenman. So we're excited to have you here, especially for those of us in the States who don't get much face time with you. Thank you so much for being with us. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Excellent. So today we're going to be talking about how chronic illness, how chronic pain, how any kind of major health issues really impact couples. Because We do have a lot of couples where this comes up. Absolutely. And we're going to talk about how EFT can really, what we can do with EFT to help these couples in distress. Sure. So can you help us understand a little bit more about maybe the particular challenges that these couples might face that, that might be a little bit different than regular couples that don't have chronic illness. Right. Well, w with most chronic diseases, especially the, the big ones, though, the ones that really scare people, right? When we hear about cancer or uh, heart disease, or people have, if someone has a heart attack, uh, other chronic illnesses like diabetes, th these are all very dangerous conditions, right? And as an EFT therapist, uh, we always have attachment theory in mind. And one of the basic tenets of attachment theory is that situations of stress uh, will, will create or, or um, encourage uh, attachment behavior. Uh, they'll sort of fire the, the attachment needs, so to speak. They'll trigger these, these attachment responses. And one of the things that happens with chronic illness is that's a really stressful situation. So the person who has the illness, again, from an attachment perspective, is very likely going to be afraid, uh, very likely uh, going to feel confused. Uh, and it always does depend on what some of the life circumstances and health circumstances of the person were before they become ill. Uh, but the attachment system gets activated. And the same is true for the partner, right? Uh, even if things were going well in the couple before and they had a secure bond and they, they really felt the emotional availability of the other person, uh, I've had a number of clients uh, through the years who after the heart attack, they say, oh, well, then everything changed. And everything changed in our relationship because now the person who has the illness is dealing with all of this fear that comes up and all of this uncertainty. Um, and is trying to navigate that. Very often thinks, though, you know, I don't want to burden my partner with this, or uh, so I'm, you know, not going to talk about it necessarily. Or maybe it just hurts me too much to think, you know, I can't work anymore, or that I might be dying. And then that can trigger a, a very strong 
uh, fear response in, in the partner because what's what's the greatest fear really? It's, it's the fear of, of loss uh, of a main attachment figure, right? Mm -hmm. So these attachment fears and needs really do get activated within the, the context of chronic illness. And then we see patterns evolve that are very similar to the patterns you would see in couples who aren't necessarily facing illness, but the, it tends to, uh, to really center on uh, themes that have to do with the illness. So uh, one person, and I have the, the examples of, of heart disease in mind, uh, one person uh, might now take a position of being really nagging and, uh, oh, you're not going to eat that, or what, another glass of wine? Uh, and, oh, well, the doctor said I could have one. and He didn't say you could have one that big. And, and we, we see these sort of pursue, withdraw dynamics that get triggered uh, the, the, the central theme tends to be the illness, uh, but the attachment drama that unfolds really is about the same kind of attachment dramas we see in couples uh, who aren't necessarily facing uh, chronic illness. Right. So you said a lot of really important things. So let me make sure that I'm getting all of this correctly. So what I hear you saying is that basically a lot of these illnesses can trigger basically an existential crisis. Yes. Not only for the individual, but for the couple. And of course, you know, both of them become afraid of that potential loss that could happen. And it also can trigger a lot of view of self um, pieces that come with the existential. And, you know, something that you said that really was important, you know, about how this illness might center around the cycle, be the focal point of the cycle a lot uh, more than couples that don't have this. Something that comes up for me too is, is the limitations that might come with some of these new illnesses, right? Like somebody who's diagnosed with, you know, um, a disease that, you know, debilitates their movement and they can no longer move the same way, you know, I, I can't, for some reason I'm having brain fog around Mo the action. Mobility is a big one. Uh, mobility is a huge one uh, for, for certain types of chronic illnesses. I have a particular expertise with, uh, with patients who have heart disease and that's something we see all the time. The changes that the illness forces on the person and as you mentioned, yes, then there are all kinds of questions about oneself. You know, uh, I used to be able to work. Now I can't work anymore. I can't provide anymore. I'm not contributing anything. And these are things that, you know, in addition to problems in a relationship, uh, levels of depression, levels of anxiety, and even cases of post-traumatic stress disorder are very high in certain populations of people with chronic illnesses, especially heart disease. Um, I've seen a lot. Go ahead. I was going to say a lot of that come up also around like fibromyalgia or multiple sclerosis, where these are things that slowly debilitate the body over time. And there's a lot of shame issues. Like it's not only I can't work, but now I can't tie my shoes. I can't bend over and pick up simple things like I can't care for myself. And now I need to rely on my partner all the time. And there's a lot of shame and it can spark a lot of withdraw and avoidance like I don't want to ask for help because I feel so much shame and I don't want to burden my partner that now they kind of have to treat me I've heard clients say like an infant you know is what they start to feel and then the partner who's facing all of this that you mentioned can start to feel 
distant and unimportant. And uh, that's the kind of dynamic that, uh, that we often see when working with couples who, who are facing chronic illness. It's sort of, you know, I know something's up, but you're not telling me about it. And I don't dare bring it up with you, uh, but we're both feeling it. And I get angry at you and then you pull away from me more. I mean, that's, that's one of the typical, typical patterns we see. I should mention, I didn't mention this yet, but uh, uh, a variety of chronic illnesses also affect sexuality, uh, which can be another taboo subject for people that they don't feel comfortable talking about with their, their, uh, with their doctors uh, or sometimes even uh, with each other. And, or sometimes, again, I think in the case of heart disease, people tend to avoid sexual activity because they're afraid that it might provoke uh, another incident, even though we know that uh, sexual activity in and of itself isn't uh, inherently dangerous, even for people with, with heart disease. But these are, you talked about changes, and I think that's the key element, right, is, is these illnesses, they force upon people and then on the relationship a lot of change, uh, a lot of adjustments. I mean, I'm looking out the window here and there's about, you know, two feet of snow on the ground. And here the big one is, oh, I can't shovel anymore, right? Or, uh, but as you said, it can be something as simple as, especially if the illness progresses, you know, I can't even tie my shoes. I can't even take care of my personal hygiene the way I used to. And then the shame that's around that. And all of this happens within an attachment context, right? So people will behave according to what they know. Uh, you often hear people talk about attachment styles. I, I prefer to, to think of it as sort of their, their usual way of, of, um, uh, of entering into or managing their relationships, right? And, and some people will talk about it or some partners will take the risk of saying, hey, you know, I miss you since the heart attack, you've been really distant or since the, di the cancer diagnosis, you've been really distant. I, I, what's going on? And they will be able to broach all of this pain and shame and, and do it in a way that helps them feel uh, close. Unfortunately, a lot of the time, that's not what happens at all. And then you see a lot of pursue withdraw, sort of the partner who's not ill, really out of love and out of fear, right? It's attachment fear of the purest kind. Uh, medicines, doctor's appointments, he said this, you're supposed to exercise, uh, you're not supposed to do this, and I'm not going to, you know, you're not going to be eating that. Um, but also sometimes what you see is a, a withdraw, withdraw sort of thing. Right, where nobody, you know, everybody's there's the elephant in the room, and everybody's dancing around the elephant, but nobody's talking about heart disease or cancer or diabetes and what it's done to the person who has it and what it's done to the relationship. Right, and often I love you know you talked about the pursue and withdraw cycle, and I think you know also what I've heard kind of on the pursue side is, and they feel there's some guilt over their feelings, but and you mentioned you know changes is the essential part is that sometimes the pursuing partner kind of feels that loss of a partnership because maybe the relationships had a shift to a caretaking kind of dynamic depending on the illness or they feel like they're the caretaker and they've lost that partner because maybe for them they don't experience their partners taking all the steps that they could do for themselves to take care of their illness they're not taking their medication they're not eating correctly so, you know, you mentioned the nag, they feel like I'm nagging and I don't feel like I have a partner now that they care about staying around long enough to, you know, live out our happy life together. And, you know, so it really shift that dynamic. I had, it's interesting, you talk about caretaking. Uh, I had one couple and actually uh, this, this case was written up in an article I wrote with Sue a, a few years ago uh, called United We Stand. 
And in it, uh, it was a case uh, where the, uh, uh, the male partner uh, had had uh, a heart attack and then had had uh, several stents. Uh, and the couple, uh, we were doing a study at the time on EFT and couples facing heart disease, and uh, they signed up. And the very beginning, the female partner in this relationship was uh, really just furious. And, and she would say things like, this man is actively trying to kill himself. He came back from the doctor's office. Do you know what he did? Do you know what he did? He went and bought a bag of peanuts and a bottle of whiskey, right? And it was that kind of intensity. Uh, and what is that to an EFT therapist, right? That's attachment fear. That's all attachment fear. That's all about... I love you, you are my, my, my partner, my lifeline, my anchor in life, and anything that is threatening that is gonna make me really scared. But what she, for a number of reasons, many of which had to do with her own personal history, you know, the, the, making herself vulnerable and talking about that in a vulnerable way, uh, what didn't come naturally to her at that point in time. And then of course, the male partner, the one who had had the diagnosis, who had had the heart attack, uh, would, would become very, very defensive. And as in a typical cycle, sometimes things would get, the ball would get rolling because he was really emotionally distant. Other times, maybe she came home and saw him, you know, maybe having a, a whiskey or something and, and would get really angry. Either way, they both got sucked into it. And the work with couples like that, just like with in couples who are facing other things, it's just that with chronic illness, it has so much to do with the disease and what the disease has done to the bond. She was able through EFT to learn how to say to him, you know, when I just see you uh, even having one peanut or if I just see the bottle of whiskey on the table, I know you're not going to drink half of it or all of it, but for me, even just, you know, seeing you take one sip, for me, that's the same thing as if, you know, you took a gun and you were pointing it at your head and that's how scared I get when I see that. Well, that then enabled us to have a different kind of conversation uh, about yeah. what was going on getting people to share that how lonely they feel, how frightened they feel. Yeah, and I love what you're saying too right there, you know, with, with the way that this, so it's like the health issues become a lot of triggers and cues, and this thing with, you know, you got peanuts and, and a bottle of whiskey, you know, it's like, I want to know that you're also fighting for us, you know, to, to be and with. And she was furious that he wasn't that he didn't care, that he didn't care about the relationship, that he didn't care about her enough to, and, and once she was more vulnerable about it, then we were able to, that sort of set the stage. Um, he, he had already done some exploring of what it was like for him to, uh, to have heart disease, but once he was able to get those more vulnerable cues from his partner, he was able then to go more comfortably than he had into his own fear and uncertainty and shame that was a big part of it for him this disease had forced a retirement an early retirement and so on um it just fascinates me how uh, you, know, you mentioned that that article it's it's all about attachment all of it it all comes back to that in in in, in chronic illness in the most fundamental way i mean death is in the room and death is a part of our survival system, and so is attachment. Yeah. And so to have those two come together is like a double, a double whammy for a relationship, you know, the death of an attachment partner.
And, you know, there's another aspect of chronic illness that, you know, I, I also want to bring out too is chronic pain. This is something that I've seen that has been even tougher for couples because sometimes this pain is, is just managed with a pain management system, but it's, you know, the pain never really goes away and there's nothing that can really be done um, unless it's surgery that could make things worse. So it's like couples that live with chronic pain and then, you know, it's hard for them to let themselves engage or, or feel sexual or, or relax because of the pain. You find their partner afraid to pursue because they feel guilty. My partner's in pain. And so you, you start to see how this pain can become front and center in the relationship. And it's hard for the couple to feel like they can connect. But it's, it's a very real, tangible thing. Yes. Yeah. I, I don't have as much experience with chronic pain. Uh, but in the patients I have seen with chronic pain over the years, uh, it, it is like what you're saying. It just takes up all the room. It's like there's no room for anything else. It's, it's constant, constantly there. And in some ways, it's difficult because one of the, one of the common interventions for dealing with chronic pain, uh, very popular, is, uh, you know, distraction. Right, in a very simplistic term. I mean, you get people to focus on what they're doing in the moment. You get them to get their mind off the pain so they can at least temporarily enjoy, uh, whether it's, you know, uh, the company of some other person or a book or a song or whatever it might be. The problem I always had with that and with that way of working with it is that then when you do bring it into a relational context, well, are we, are we, encouraging people to continue this avoidance, this sort of not talking about it, this sort of distracting themselves from it, when what we would want to do in an EFT context would be open up about the pain, open up about how you feel like it's ruined your life, how you feel uh, just this, this constant gut-wrenching, uh, excruciating pain, uh, name it, uh, and then maybe we can help the partner, if they need our help, uh, really respond to that. And often, as you've probably noticed, what happens then is once it's been named and the partner feels like, okay, now I'm on board too, well, then we're facing this pain or diabetes or heart disease or cancer. We're facing it together. Yeah. And it really is true, uh, the, the powerful effect that can have on couples on people, just feeling like, okay, there's someone here with me who's facing this with me, and I don't have to deal with this by myself. I might be the one who's in pain, or I'm the one who had the heart attack, but we're in this together. It's hard. Uh, it is. It is, and I love what you're saying is, you know, instead of, you know, you know EFT will help us be able to, to map this and navigate how this shows up in their, you know, EFT dance or their cycle, but also helping them be able to turn towards each other and be a source of comfort and soothing and strength, especially in the midst of pain and something so scary that we feel like we're in it together. And I love what you said about distraction, but, you know, in those, sometimes people will turn away from their partner for their distraction, like, you know, something else, and they don't, and they, they start missing that connection time. And I, I have a, a few clients with some chronic pain, one of them actually told their partner, when we connect, 
that's the best distraction from the pain for me. Like, you know, when we, or when we have sex, right? I, I, sometimes the pain is low enough that I can. And then when we have sex, the pain goes away for, for a few minutes. And it's this little bit of time that I have an escape from pain, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But without being able to talk about it, their partner would have never known. And people are left wondering, they're left guessing, they're left with uncertainty, uh, all the things that we know to be toxic to <laughs> a, a relationship, a happy relationship. Anyway. Yeah. yeah. And the interesting thing is when we read, you know, some research by Jim Cohen, the handholding studies and stuff, what they found is that connection, you know, actually can re- release pain blocking chemicals in the body. So... Yeah. You know, connection can literally be your Motrin, you know. It may not be powerful enough to take it all away, but... Uh, natural opioids, and it goes beyond distraction, right? At that point, we're not only taking someone's mind off of it, but we're actively doing something to combat the pain. Uh, and the pain, uh, physical pain, emotional pain, brain doesn't really make doesn't distinguish between the two. And if you're helping someone uh, feel more connected to a significant other person, uh, as you're saying, that helps deal with all kinds of pain, not just uh, emotional pain. Yeah. Physical pain as well. So what would you recommend? I, f- I find that a lot of therapists feel kind of lost when it comes to dealing with pain or chronic illness in relationships. And, you know, I think because it's something that we don't always have control over, something right. that we can't necessarily make go away. So right. what would you recommend for therapists as their starting point when this comes up, you know, sure. or, or the trouble that comes in with this? Sure, and it's an excellent question, and it's so important. And if we don't spend enough time on the fundamentals and we, we get you know, ahead of ourselves, we might miss something really important. What I always tell my students, uh, that are the students I supervise uh, in, in psychology, practicum students or, or interns in psychology, within a health psychology context, the first thing I say, but, you know, we, as you're getting to know this person, uh, what does it mean for this individual person to have this illness at this particular point uh, in their life. Uh, Because it's such a personal thing, right? A younger person who uh, is diagnosed with um, uh, heart disease or cancer, uh, it's different than someone who's older, someone who's worked. It's such a personal thing. I mean, there are patterns that we see among people, but it's really important before anything else to really understand uh, what does it mean for this person to have this illness? Because it can be a trigger of all of the things that you've mentioned, the shame, the, the, uh, the anxiety, uh, in many cases, uh, post-traumatic stress responses, right, to, uh, to, to the illness or to the way the diagnosis was communicated or to the way the illness happened, right? Um, so what does it mean for this person to have this illness at this particular point in his life, in her life? So that's one uh, very important thing. And then within a couple's context, and how is that then affecting the, the relationship dance, 
uh, that was already there? Has it changed it? Has it made it worse? You know, maybe there were signs of pursue withdraw, but it wasn't so bad and the couple uh, got along well and felt uh, pretty close, but then the illness happened and it became you know, a full-blown uh, pursue withdrawal pattern with, uh, with one person just cringing and, and recoiling and the other one uh, criticizing and complaining. Um, is it a complete change, right? Is this a couple that really did feel close and connected and on the same page? And now this has just triggered so much for each of them uh, that they're withdraw, withdraw, not speaking at all. Are they both frustrated and angry and, and unsure and, and, and doing a, a, an attack, attack sort of thing? Uh, so we need to understand the effect of the illness on the couple. But in order to do that, I believe that it's important to start with, and how is heart disease affecting this patient who has it or cancer or diabetes or chronic pain? But also when I meet with couples for the first time, once I get that piece, then I look to the partner and I say, and how is heart disease affecting you? How has diabetes been affecting you? What's it been like for you? Because we know uh, that this doesn't happen. This doesn't unfold in a vacuum. So that would be the first step, is to really see what it means for the person, then uh, to see how the partner is responding to the illness and to what the illness means for the person. Uh, and then it really is a matter of uh, conducting an assessment to really see, okay, what did, you know, do they have a, a typical pattern as most, the vast majority of couples do, right? The, the, mm -hmm. what's, their, what's their particular dance? But it always has, I found with couples facing chronic illness, there's always a health flavor to it. There's always a, that, that's a real huge trigger of the most basic uh, attachment fears and longings and all the behaviors that come with that. Yeah. So what it sounds like, I think I hear you saying is, is really kind of up front and center. We want to have a conversation about the meaning making that the way that this, what this means to each person. And I love that was such a beautiful question about turning to the partner and saying, and how is heart disease or cancer affected you? Wow. That is so powerful. That is really powerful. And, and really, yeah. Very few of the health professionals will do just because this is only starting to get on the, to, on the radar, right? That, that how important it is for the relationship, how relationships can be affected uh, by this, how uh, relationships can actually be a real tool for emotional and physical healing. Uh, this is all relatively recent in terms of making its way into the medical mainstream. Yeah, yeah. So these are very important conversations to have, and it's very good for us to know. And I love that you're saying the medical profession is just barely starting to catch on. So hopefully we'll have more awareness about this. But so, you know, the first step would be to have this conversation about meaning and how this is impacted both of them, the meaning that they make of it. And then it sounds almost like kind of treating it as the content and you use that to, to map out and assess the cycle and exactly. almost kind of similar to like another, any other type of big, a big event that might trigger to come into therapy, like an affair or something, but it's not necessarily going to be an attachment injury, but you're going to want to understand like the before and after how's the cycle change. 
Exactly. And not almost. It is exactly that same process. And that's the beautiful thing about EFT, right, is that, that this map and this way of understanding relationships does apply to a variety of different contexts. Uh, the, the, just that the major trigger in these cases very often tends to be uh, the illness. And kind of like when you're working with trauma, it is important to do a, a little bit uh, of education or information giving about uh, what the particular illness is. You don't have to be an expert in heart disease uh, to say, well, you know, uh, exercise is important or it's important if you're feeling uh, unsure about what's appropriate for you to talk to your physician about that. Or it is important the same way that when we're doing EFT with couples who are facing trauma, where we name it and we say that's a traumatic reaction and that's the trauma descending on the relationship. Well, it's important to do that too uh, and to share the information that we have or to guide clients to where information about uh, the particular disease and its repercussions, where they can find that, that also is part of it. But other than that, uh, EFT is EFT, right? We're doing, we're doing the tango. We're bringing clients through the steps and stages in order to, um, the overarching goal is uh, to, to come together, to feel emotionally connected. And in this case, to be able to use that to face this challenge together because of the benefits it brings both to the patient and to the partner. Yeah, to help them come together, to be able to bond, to find a way to bond together and be better together through this. Yeah. And one of the benefits, it sounds like, you know, when, when people kind of shut down and they start making meaning even about illness and they're coping with it individually, they don't really have this shared narrative about, you know, what this is like for us to go through this together. And we really want to bring them together in that. And that's one of the things that we do uh, very recently. Uh, my colleagues at the University of Ottawa Heart Institute, uh, Heather Tullick has uh, spearheaded this project. I, I've been uh, there with her for the past five years or so. Sue Johnson has also been on board. Our colleague uh, at the Institute, Natasha Demidenko, we've developed a program for patients with heart disease based on the principles of EFT, based on attachment theory. And what it is, it's really an adaptation of the hold me tight groups that I'm sure you're familiar with, but tailored toward uh, couples in which one or both partners uh, has heart disease, a different types, any type of heart disease. And uh, one of the main components of that what you were just mentioning there made me think of this is at the very beginning of the group process, mapping out how this has affected us and sitting down and really looking at what has this, what changes has this brought into our lives as a unit, as a couple, as a relationship. And for many couples, uh, this type of group or this type of uh, intervention is really the first time that they're getting the, the chance to really do that. They have, they might, because of all of the appointments and medications and uh, commitments that they might have, uh, people don't always sit and, and really take stock. Uh, and as you're saying, that's something that's really important to do and to do it, not just as a person, but how has this been for us? Yeah. And what's important about that too, is during that process, 
I've heard so often they interface with a gaggle of doctors and a lot of them, their bedside manner is not very, <laughs> very. I wasn't going to go there, but, <laughs> but you went there. Yes. I, I, you know, I, I can only, I, and I know how it is in Canada where just the, the, the system is so taxed and even the best meaning of physicians don't have the time to really sit and map out, okay, what is, you know, been the existential meaning of all of this, but it is important uh, that uh, medical professionals have a basic capacity to, uh, to empathize uh, and to really put themselves in the place of the patient. And that's happening more and more in medical training, I have to say. Like when, when I train uh, residents in family medicine, for example, uh, uh, that's one of the basic requirements. So you call it bedside manner, but it's really it's patient-oriented and patient-centered interviewing and work uh, is becoming more and more the norm uh, in, in medicine. And I think that's so important because... When you had you hand shaming, that can often happen in the doctor's office, right? Yeah, or, yeah. or the PTSD you mentioned before, the way a diagnosis is delivered. You know, exactly. when someone's handing down a, a possible death sentence, you know, or what feels like a death sentence, that's very traumatic. And to have the doctor not even see how major this is for the person and just kind of matter of fact. And, and we know that doctors you know, for their own survival have learned to shut down a lot of their emotions and, you know, empathy can go out with that. So it's really difficult, but, you know, just being able to help them empathize and, and be with the, the patients as they're giving this life altering information is so important. Yeah, absolutely. So you do the Healing Hearts program. So for those of you who aren't very familiar um, to our viewers, can you talk a little bit more about what that program is? Sure. Uh, again, it's based heavily on, on Hold Me Tight, and Sue uh, Johnson has been on board with us, really helping us uh, tweak uh, Hold Me Tight to be uh, even more appropriate and more geared toward uh, couples who are facing heart disease. So similar to Hold Me Tight, it's eight two-hour sessions, and we look at uh, demon dialogues and uh, the, the traps that couples fall into. There's a session just like in uh, Hold Me Tight on forgiving injuries, uh, sexuality. Uh, the key differences between this program and the Hold Me Tight program, uh, the key difference is really the emphasis that's placed on heart disease. For example, there's one session of this where the entire two-hour session involves first having the patients with heart disease uh, sort of go in one room with one of the facilitators and then their partners be in another room with another one of the facilitators and then people are talking about the themes that you and I have just been discussing. So what's this been like for you to have this illness? What's your biggest fear been? How do you find that if any, if at all, that it's affected your relationship? So we ask the partners and the patients this separately, and then we come back together in the larger group, and then the general themes get shared in order to, uh, to spark a, a conversation. Uh, there's always a didactic component. So at, at the very beginning of each uh, Healing Hearts Together session. Uh, there's a review of the homework from the for the previous session, uh, then a didactic piece either about attachment or uh, what can create attachment injuries, how to come out of attachment injuries, how to how to be accessible, responsive, and engaged. Uh, what are the typical changes imposed on, on a person and on a relationship by heart disease? Um, 
So there's a didactic component, and then the couples work in dyads, and the group facilitators will float. Uh, depending on how many groups there are, you might have more than two facilitators there working uh, the healing hearts. Getting them to engage in the in-class exercises, which, just like in Homemade Sight, generally come back to being able to identify one's own emotions, what one does when one has these emotions, and then how that affects the, uh, the dynamics of the couple. And in Healing Hearts Together, all of that then is, is under the umbrella of heart disease and how heart disease can affect the individual, the partner, and then, by extension, the dance that they do together. Yeah, this is really exciting, really exciting. So you guys really are just in Ottawa, is that where you guys are conducting the study? Yeah, we, we conducted a pilot study at the University of Ottawa Heart Institute. Heather Tullick uh, and her colleagues there and I and Sue um, a few years ago, and we got uh, very promising uh, preliminary results. Uh, so now we are involved in a randomized controlled trial of this uh, old, uh, Healing Hearts Together relationship education group for heart patients with heart disease and their spouses. It's happening at the University of Ottawa Heart Institute in Canada. Um, in this particular study, we will be uh, having a control condition. So we'll be looking at uh, the potential effect of the Healing Hearts Together program on things like anxiety, depression, but also on health in, in the long term. Things like heart rate variability and blood pressure and cholesterol, uh, because the hypothesis is that when you improve someone's relationship, you're also improving their health. And so that's one of the things that we're really also having a look at here uh, in this particular study with a more, um, it's, uh, a more rigorous design. And we were very fortunate uh, to receive a grant from uh, the Canadian government for this, from the Canadians, Canadian Institutes of Health Research. We also received one from the Heart and Stroke Foundation of Canada to be able to do this. Uh, we uh, did have to decline that one because we couldn't take them both for the same project. But the reason I smile about that is because 10 years ago, this kind of research, uh, a re research proposal submitted to one of these uh, medical foundations would have been laughed off the table. And now, now the establishment is waking up to something that our, all our grandmothers knew, right? And what we've known in the clinical literature for, you know, over 40 years. And that is that the quality of the relationship, and by that we mean the quality of the emotional connection, uh, mm -hmm. has a direct, indirect and direct effect on people's health not just their quality of life, which in and of itself is extremely important. I mean, if you're going to be keeping people alive, you want to keep them alive for something. You want them to live for something. So quality of life is a noble goal in and of itself, but it goes beyond that. And it's just so, you use the word exciting. It's so exciting to see uh, that, you know, decision makers are starting to wake up to the importance of all of this and to fund this kind of work uh, so that we can then take this type of program uh, and spread it around. Yeah. This is, sounds really beautiful, really exciting. Now, this is a study that's currently in progress and ongoing? Yes. Yeah, we are recruiting now. Excellent, excellent. So, you know, you've just... Hearts, I just want to say the Healing Hearts program is, is already available. Uh, it's available through the ICEPT website. Uh, it's designed similar uh, to Hold Me Tight to be, you know, a, a competent health professional uh, would be able to uh, 
lead and implement the, uh, the Healing Hearts Together uh, groups. Um, that is already available. What's ongoing now is uh, the first major randomized controlled trial of the efficacy of uh, the program. Excellent. Excellent. This is really exciting. And, and I think, you know, if, if anyone's like me, we're all excited to hear the results of the study. So, you know, we're definitely going to be keeping an eye out for that. That's going to be, you know, really amazing. And you're really doing wonderful things with EFT up there. And gosh, to help patients. And, you know, it's just, just amazing. And I love, you know, like you said, that they're finally waking up and realizing, yeah, there's something to this, <laughs> you know, they're taking it seriously now. So that's good for us, you know, good for you. Yeah. Yeah. Good for yeah. everyone. Absolutely. So Paul, you've been tremendous. And for those, I know, you know, some folks in Europe might be a little more familiar with who you are, but for those who are in the States, how do they find you? How do they attend a training that you are at? Well, uh, the the uh, the EFT trainings uh, that I'll be doing in English, uh, I, I don't do them that often. That's just the way things worked out. Uh, I, my niche has been more here in French Canada, and then uh, overseas. But I, I will be doing with Marlene Best um, the EFT externship in Ottawa uh, in November 2020. Uh, so that'll be taking place uh, in Ottawa, Ontario, in English, and then. Um, my other engagements uh, are, uh, the next ones coming up are in uh, Berlin uh, in 2020. I'll be doing a core skills there uh, at a foundation that's called uh, EZI, which is uh, an abbreviation for uh, uh, evangelical. Uh, it's, uh, it's, not a it's a religious organization, but uh, part of their mandate is providing uh, effective couple therapy to, uh, to people for free. Uh, so they've asked me to come and train their uh, their therapists there. Wonderful. So do you have a website or, I mean, aside from the ICEPT website? Yeah. The best way to reach me uh, directly is uh, my university email, paul.greenman at uqo.ca. Uh, and, uh, and then uh, at the university website, there's also, I have a web page with information about me and my research interests and training and that's, uh, that sort of thing. And I imagine folks can Google you as well. Yeah. <laughs> Paul Green, Green <laughs> and I'll put your email address in the description for this video and along with your website yeah. so that folks can sure. find you. And yeah. I work at the Ottawa Couple and Family Institute. I do private practice there. Sue's been our director since the very beginning of the Institute in 1999. Um, yeah. That's really exciting. That's really exciting. Well, thank you so much for being with us today and imparting your wisdom on this really exciting topic. Thank you for having me. Excellent. And thank you so much to our viewers. Thank you for staying tuned, for making our videos a success. And make sure that if you haven't already, hit subscribe because more videos are on the way.